welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And on this episode, um, because uh, Quincy is out with the flu, as is apparently everybody he has ever met, and they are all dying, and it's terrible. Um, this week, uh, I have uh, with me my partner in crime and several other, several other things as well, uh, Christina. How's it going? Good. Hi. How's everybody doing? Yeah, and uh, obviously, like, this is, which, by the way, side note here, um, Christina has never listened to a single episode of Rankin Vile, which is the greatest, and I love it. I live with you. I'm in the shit. Uh, all of your religious listeners can try to compete with me, and they will lose. <laughs> yeah, that's, you You hear my dumb horror stuff, like, literally all, which I, I'm pretty sure Quincy's partner, Emily, also has expressed a similar thing. I mean, you try all of your material out on me. It's just right. proximity. Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're out here doing the rough cuts. So uh, generally, the first question that we ask our guests is, what is your background in horror? Um, let's see. I've, I haven't been a horror head, really. But when I was a kid, I was interested in horrifying things, which I think comes naturally for a lot of children. Being mm-hmm. a child is pretty disturbing. Um, and... You know, then I, then I didn't really watch any of it for a long time, and now being with you, I get uh, I get a very helpful built-in sort of concierge to show me like, okay, this is th- this movie is good, but you'll hate it. This movie is bad, and you'll hate it. Right. This movie is good, and you'll love it. This movie is bad, and you'll love it. So I get a I get a, cu- a curator. Yeah, I do. I get a yeah. good hand-picked selection. Mm-hmm. And, and which specifically, I your favorite movie uh, yes. is. American Psycho. Yes. You are salty about American Psycho's placement on the list? I just I just think you should have an appeals process. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> because, listen, it's really good. It is. It is. It's so and good. And it's the best. And it it's not even in the top ten anymore. And I'm honestly really mad at you, Anne Quincy, because that's just... It. Fifteen. Come on. That's way too low. Yeah. That is way too... Come on. It, Predator is more meaningful than American Psycho. Well, I... I, I it's, it's not on me to say that it's more meaningful. Jaws is not better than American Psycho. I will fight every oh. single one of you. I will fight you. That's, I will fight you. That's good. It's good. Yeah. But but you haven't even... You, you've like halfway watched Jaws. Yeah. You know why I only halfway watched it? Because it's not as good as American Psycho. Well, there we go. So. That's how you know. Right there. I mean, you did see the USS Indianapolis speech, though, so that's good. Yeah. I mean, just nothing is more pointed and hilarious and brutal than American Psycho. This movie is also pointed and brutal, um, but not really hilarious. So who had um, a more uh, ghoulish approach to wardrobe? Uh, Patrick Bateman mm-hmm. and his morning like uh, regime for getting, mm-hmm. getting ready, or the mayor in Jaws with the worst suits in the world? I mean, do we get to see the mayor's, do we get to see his, his backstage getting ready No situation? So we don't really know, I mean, we can infer, but we don't know why he dresses the way he does, but we get very, uh, very effective sequences of Patrick Bateman, like, putting on his human suit. Right, and the literal face mask, yeah. which, I mean, I mostly picture, when I picture the mayor and Jaws getting ready in the morning, I picture a clueless-style computer interface. Uh, filled with the worst suits in the world and every morning he's just like mm, the one with the anchors on it and that's him now and and the the soundtrack is just yes yeah. that's I mean, that's it that's yeah. it. that's that's all he listens to is yakety socks mm-hmm. um so on this week's episode the uh, uh the first one that uh the first movie that i want to talk about 
um, which I am so goddamn stoked to talk about, is 2016's Raw. Um, which, uh, so we, we were debating, like, so for this episode, should we do spoilers? Yes. Yeah, and, and we were like, well, okay, I, I feel like it's impossible to dig into the, all the really, really cool stuff about Raw that we want to talk about without giving spoilers. Mm-hmm. So um, if you don't care to hear us uh, giving, giving the plot uh, points and everything else about uh, the movie Raw, go ahead and skip ahead maybe about, I don't know, half an hour or so. Sure. Do, do watch it. Watch it, and then if you care to, come back to this, because um, it's really, it's a phenomenal movie. And I would highly recommend it. Yeah. So let's dig into it. Um, hey, got to dig into it. Um, so this movie is fucking great. The plot is that there's a, a young woman who's going off to like veterinary prep school, basically. Um, <laughs> I think it's like a graduate school. Although it does have the feel of her like going off to college. It's weird. I don't know how the veterinarians are educated in Belgium. It's like it's like a horrifying version of Animal House and they're all they all happen to be veterinarians mm. and they're all like really into being veterinarians. Like they've got little songs that they sing about how veterinarians fuck better. Um they're super into being veterinarians. And so uh yeah, it's college basically and they're all sort of um living together uh and it's there's like a hazing process where it is just real fucking intense right like yes like they've got buckets of blood being dumped carry style on them they've got to eat raw animal parts which uh triggers so when the main character uh when she has to eat uh raw what is it rabbit kidney yeah raw rabbit kidney and it awakens in her a dormant uh, she's like a lifelong vegetarian and so is her family like her family does not eat meat ever and it's peer pressure basically where it's like eat this fucking rabbit kidney and her sister who is one of the focal points of the movie is also at the college and like she she's kind of uh she's made the rounds sort of already she's assimilated yeah she's part of the culture and she sort of peer pressures her little sister into eating the raw rabbit kidney which then triggers uh crazy cannibalistic impulses and she um just start sort of wants to eat people it's just that insatiable desire to consume human flesh that every assigned female at birth person will have at some point. You know? Right, it's coming like, coming yeah. of age. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a relatable thing yeah. where you just you know want to eat a bunch of people, mm-hmm. um, and so you get this uh, dynamic where like the sisters are taking bites out of each other and other people, and um, the ending of this movie hit me like a sucker punch. It's so good. It's it's beautiful and the. The ending of it is, it, it feels very French to me. This is a French and Belgium production um, because in its in its devastating restraint, it really reminds me of the ending of uh, La Femme Nikita. La Femme Nikita, yeah. Which is also one of my favorite movies. Um, so yeah, beautifully made film. You need to see it. It's streaming on Netflix and a million percent worth your time if you haven't watched it already. Yeah, and it ends on people talking in little rooms mm-hmm. like they did in La Femme Nikita where like after all the crazy, bombastic like so um cutting to the chase here this movie uh is real fucking graphic like although oddly enough it's real fucking graphic but also not i think it's not like being told the aristocrats joke right it's not at all exploitative all of the there's gore for sure and it's all grounded in an actual movie like this isn't uh this isn't like some shitty person 
got a film camera and decided they were going to make what could technically be referred to as a movie so they could just splash a bunch of blood all over the place. This is like an actual film with characters and oh. dynamics and things to say, but it's not it's not didactic. It's so you're just, saying so you're saying it's not like Kung Fu Cannibals. Sure, I guess that's a movie that exists. Sure, absolutely. Okay. It's yeah. a, it's uh, you, you'll be pleased to know that it's actually much farther down the list than American Psycho. It fucking better be. Don't even tease me about this shit because you're just wrong. And yeah. Trained yeah. Busan. Okay, that's probably very good, but I've never heard of it. It is very good. <sighs> <laughs> I, your 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 dislike of Jaws occupying a spot above it is. I don't dislike Jaws itself. Sure. It's just like you know sometimes people make bad decisions and it's it's a frustrating thing to witness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, with Raw, yeah. I <laughs> let's I, I know you're like a dog with a bone. I'm gonna try not to get distracted by <laughs> how incorrect that is. Okay, let's I, go on. I I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So with Raw, I think. With the gore and the really transgressive... Now, here's the thing. It is a Belgian film, and it... Uh, re, I mean, on, on the list, we've done a couple of movies that could be referred to as, like, a, a school of cinema called The New French Extremity that was real fucking popular in, like, the early to mid-2000s, where, like, High Tension is, like, the Enter Sandman of New French Extremity. Calvaire is a movie I can never watch again. Um, and this movie is not that. Mm. Like, it's not transgressive for the sake of transgression. Like, it's it's doing so many things where it's... it's explore- right, So, uh, tell me... tell me, Give me your thoughts on this, because you have a lot of thoughts. On New French Extremity or this movie? Oh, this movie. Oh, yeah, because I, I can't comment on New French Extremity because I have never seen those films. I think those fall into the category of these are very good and you would hate them. Would mm-hmm. you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I also haven't seen The Babadook. I had a panic attack in the theater while watching Oculus, which isn't even like a great movie. It's not even like The Exorcist or anything, but um, it's a good movie. And uh, it, I found it very effective in all the wrong ways. Yeah. Um, well, because I think, I think it was the claustrophobia. Yeah, and it was the domestic stuff, like yeah. the children children trapped with uh, possessed parents and you know nowhere to go. That's not not great right um, like the sort of there's something wrong with mom thing. yeah i can't do it i can't do it yeah. i i prefer to stay away from uh uh home invasion sure because i have a home right and it's a little it's a little too close to the bone it's upsetting um but i'm fine with you know beautiful young people being slashed to death in forests because i never go into the forest because i'm not a <laughs> fool right come on because you love yourself you're not I trying do. to get slashed at summer camp. so that's also why i've never seen any new french extremity because uh, i love myself mm-hmm. Um, it's valid. But this movie is great. Buckle the fuck up, everybody, because I've got notes and they are color coded. Which, by so... the way, guys, she uh, uh, she is you, 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 you are a librarian. Yeah. So taking notes Believe is. Believe it, dude. She's got different colored markers for her notes. Like this, I don't I, I don't know if I can stress to you guys what I'm looking at right now. It's like the Necronomicon. No, these are not markers, you fucking heathen. These are highlighters. They're actually mild oh. liners. Shout out to all my stationary nerds out there. I'm sure the Venn diagram of horror nerds and stationary nerds is a circle. It's 100%. Just, it's just you. Um so yeah, some mild liners. I got a I got a Tombow dual brush pen up here. Mhm. And the rest is just a Pilot V5 rollerball, which is everybody's favorite pen. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so here are some things that we're going to talk about, whether you like it or not. We're talking about abuse and dynamics of abuse, cycles of abuse. We're talking about like public versus private, and we're talking about repression and abandon. Yeah. Those are some of the main themes that I see in this film. 
Yeah. 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 That really checks out. And especially, um, we, cause we were, um, watching, uh, videos of like the director sort of talking about the movie and, uh, people asking her really dumb questions like what is cannibalism a metaphor for? Ugh. Um, which I think is a really, really boring question because it's like, well, what do you think it's a metaphor for? Like, it, it's kind of the David Lynch thing of like, you know, like, so what is Eraserhead about? And him being like, well, I, I made the movie and now you can watch that movie and take away from it whatever you're going to take away from it. When people ask questions like that, in my head, I just see them, like, strapped into a high chair, like, asking the director to spoon-feed them pureed peas. Mm -hmm. It's like... Well, I mean, who who doesn't want to be fed by David Lynch like a mama bird? Well, sure, but you want that literally, not figuratively. Right, and there's a difference. Yeah, you you don't want to be robbed of the experience of of interpreting and understanding a piece of art for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just cheating yourself. It is. So, yes, people ask very facile, uh, embarrassing questions, and, and and one person got really angry at how pointless they said the movie was. So angry about how pointless it was that they walked out, which I think you'll agree suggests that the emotion they were feeling was not boredom. They're not mad. They're actually laughing right now. <laughs> they're, they're laughing. It's it's really funny how, how much of a nerve that movie touched, I guess. I'm having a great time laughing here by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, you, like, the horror, like, the, the first, the first note on, on your page, obviously, is, like, the, the horror of femininity. Yeah, and I want to, I, the, the director in interviews and on panels, you know, she's been, she's, she's dealt with people saying, you know, this is a, a, a movie by a woman for women, and she rebukes that, rightly so, I think, that, because we all have bodies, and if you live long enough or reflect even a little bit, like, you will at some point realize that your body is not under your control. Right. And uh, that's a little scary. And so in that sense, yes, this movie is for everyone because we are all living in our terrible flesh prisons. Um, <laughs> Relatable. But in, in, in another, like, as much I do want to respect that, and at the same time, this feels to me like as much as it's universal, it's also specific. This is feels like a specific kind of female body horror um yeah in in everything from subject to form like how how controlled and brutal it is without being exploitative that feels specific to me i think other lesser directors um would handle that very differently but there's a respect for humanity and for animals and for really the experience of having a body and how scary that can be. Well, right. And like, there's, there's one bit of the movie that I thought was interesting was that, uh, so, which by the way, interesting is one of those words that doesn't actually mean anything that I thought was really fucking cool, which was, um, so her sister is trying to give her a Brazilian wax. Uh, and she obviously, this is not a fucking fun experience and it's painful and she hates it. And she involuntarily kicks and her sister who had scissors accidentally gets her, her finger chopped off. So she, her hand is bleeding, uh, you know, she's, she's calling the cops while her sister is fainting because, you know, she just got her fucking finger chopped off. And she uh, starts to eat her sister's finger. And then later on, her sister blames it on their dog, Quickie. And so they're, like, one of the themes in this is like, well, now we got to put Quickie down because, you know, if a dog eats human flesh, they're going to get a taste for it. Which, by the way is actually a myth. Mm. That is not actually true about dogs. That if they eat a human part, that means they're going to start eating people. 
Um, Tell your friends. No need to put that dog down. Yep, it's okay. Leave him alone. If you've ever met a dog, they will eat any kind of meat. They don't give a shit. Quickie has done nothing wrong. And so Quickie has to be put down, and we're told via text from her sister, whose dog Quickie is, that they had to put Quickie down, and she's really cavalier about it. Yeah. Like, she's like, lol, they killed Quickie. And I think that's treated as a really monstrous moment. Right. Like, that's treated as, like, man, her sister's not okay. Like, for how flip she was about her dog getting put down for something he didn't do. Right. Because she stopped seeing the value in in living things. Yeah, and there's a scene at uh, at a party where, like, uh, the main character, she doesn't remember a lot of what happened, but somebody took cell phone footage of her, like, her sister flopping uh, a dead body arm around and, like, dangling it in front of her sister's mouth, and she's snapping at it. And that, to me, is such a perfect microcosm of it that, like, her sister has already stopped giving a shit about life having worth. Yeah. And let, let's back up a little bit. They, that moment of her sister not only, um, not only teasing her with a, a corpse's arm, but also doing it in front of people. She's really, she's put her on display in the middle of a big party. That comes at a point where, from what we saw of the previous night while it was going on, we saw them getting drunk. Um, her older sister pulled her into a room uh, in the morgue and opened up a drawer and you think, oh, sister's sharing a midnight snack. Like, <laughs> right. you've all been there, you're sure. fucking wasted. You're like, boy, I would eat anything right now. <laughs> I would eat at Arby's right now. <laughs> I'm so hungry I could eat at Arby's. Shout out to my ex-boyfriend for that joke, by the way, which still makes me laugh about a decade later. Yeah. Arby's isn't even that bad, but it's funny. I, I like Arby's. Um, so you think, oh, this is a nice moment. Like, she's her, her cannibal mentor, like, helping her along the way. Yeah. And then... Be, be a cannibal, not a cannibal. Right, exactly. Um, and then the next morning, she's... The the younger sister is being ostracized, and we find out that that's what's happening. Not only did she tease her with that instead of just feeding her, but she did it in front of a whole crowd of disgusted and jeering people who were taking video. There were some people, fortunately, who were like, "Stop this! She's really fucked up. Um, don't record this. She's really drunk. Like this is wrong." But it still went on. So it's this. It's, it's a betrayal. It's such a betrayal of of their relationship as sisters and also within the context of the film we let's really back up like as it happens she develops this craving for human flesh justine does the protagonist and it's at the same time as she develops the skin rash and the nurse she sees she's credited um at the end as the nurse uh, prescribes her this this cream for her skin and says you've got food poisoning just you know Use this cream, find, like, your first week is rough at this school, find a a quiet corner and wait it out. Yeah. Which is one approach to surviving an abusive environment. Right. Um, It's just hunker down. Yeah. And so she's, she's not feeling good and she stays with her sister overnight and she finds the same cream in her sister's medicine cabinet. And so all of a sudden this is not, it's not an individual problem. This, there's something larger going on. And then she finds that her sister also has that craving for flesh. Yeah. So it's a betrayal of their relationship as sisters. It's a betrayal of any solidarity you might hope that they would have as sharing this condition, I guess you could call it. Um, And it, it really, it speaks to both the horror of femininity, which is sort of woven throughout, like 
when she's trying to give her sister this non-consensual Brazilian wax. Um, she says, come on, we all do it. And, right, and that's like repeated yeah. a couple of times in this. It is, yeah. This uh, compulsory femininity and, um, you know, you won't be a real woman. You won't really be an adult until you're all sexy and writhing in front of a mirror at yourself. Yeah. And even the nurse, when she's taking care of her, is kind of like, you know, are, you know do you use condoms? and Or no, are, are you on birth control? And she's like, oh, I haven't. And the nurse kind of raises, quirks an eyebrow and goes, uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's this, you know, you're not ready, sort of pat on the head kind of thing. Um, and it's it's such a limiting and kind of gross idea of what it means to be an adult. Like, mm-hmm. if that's not your thing, then why couldn't being an adult mean something else? Yeah. Um, and also it's, it's, she's being inducted into this, uh, this suffering basically she's at one point um she's in a room with a professor who is being incredibly unprofessional frankly Um, yeah he's a real dick he's a real dick for no reason he's talking to her about an allegation of cheating and he just makes it really personal for no good reason yeah and of course she can't say any any of this she's barely an adult because of her age and experience and she's chewing on her hair which is not an uncommon mannerism, especially no. among young people. Uh, when, when my hair was long, I used to chew on my yeah. hair. Yeah. And so after that, she is in the bathroom and she's throwing up and she's pulling strings of her hair oh. out of her throat. Man, which by the way, the cannibalism mm-hmm. was upsetting. That was actually, I think, the most viscerally upsetting part of the movie for me. Because it's realer, Yeah, because right? we've all kind yeah. of pulled gross stuff out of our throats. <laughs> sure. Uh, some of us more than others. Some of us more than others, right. Um, and after she, she comes out of the bathroom stall and there's a young woman at the, one of her classmates, a young woman at the sink who says, you know, if you use two fingers, it'll come up quicker. And she's got this like very chipper smile on her face. Helpful. And she, she's being helpful. And it's like, oh, this is the, this is the uh, dubious honor that you have being inducted into the realm of a semi-adult woman is like you get all this suffering. It's normalized to make yourself vomit. Right. Um, and try to control your body in all of these unhealthy ways. Yeah. So the relationship between Alex and Justine, actually, I'm not even going to look at your notes for this one. That's fine. Um, cause, mostly because you're smarter than I am and you've got lots yeah. of notes. So for a podcast, you got to admit, it's pretty great. I mean, just do your own fucking homework. That's well, all I'm there, saying. There we go. That's all right. You're robbing yourself of a learning opportunity. I am. Yeah. I am. And that's, that's unforgettable. <laughs> so uh, the, I, the central relationship of the thing to me is the relationship between Justine and Alex, the sisters. Um... And the end of the movie, so Justine's roommate, uh, he's, now, and here's the thing, I want to say he's a gay fellow, but I wonder, now, here's the thing, right? No one says the B word. Right. Um, he has sex with Justine. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Justine is well into bloodlust territory, where she's eating raw chicken, she's eating fingers, she's, like, ferreting away hamburgers in her pocket. Hashtag just girly things. Just girly things. Ferreting hamburgers. Um, and she's having sex with uh, Adrian, her her roommate, who, um, he, she, like, during the sex, she's, like, starting to bite him, and he's like, ow, ow, quit it, quit it! He's like, and then when, when she gets off, she bites into her own arm, and not him, which is, I think, the sweetest fucking thing I've ever yeah. seen in a movie. It's really beautiful. Chumps. The entire scene, I, I think we were both on tenterhooks, like, 
oh, we oh, really do like it. this character. Like, may he live to see the end of this yes. sexual encounter. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, we we wish him well. You know, and and it's uncomfortable because she's biting him, and he keeps saying no, and she's not totally respecting the no. So you're like, oh god, this is going south. It's yeah. this is bad, and then she bites into her own arm, and it's bleeding pretty freely, and it's this beautiful moment of like she has she has realized that he that he has worth his life has worth his mm-hmm. no has value um and so she's she's controlling where her aggression goes yeah and it really it gave me hope um for their relationship hope that was totally dashed because this movie is not pulling any punches um, no, and, and 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 so that there's there's the bit where he you know he's gay like he he's had sexual encounters with men and there's a line where he gets really upset after the encounter where he's like what was it I didn't hide for twenty years just to fuck girls now yes biphobia claims another victim <sighs> tragic so he identifies he identifies as a gay man and that's also where um, where the director and writers view that you know this isn't just a movie for women about about female bodies. Uh, being unruly in different ways it's also about just bodies in general because he's been hiding for 20 years like his body has desires that he has not been able to acknowledge or um or indulge and so this is something that really everybody deals with is like having to control their body and contort it in various ways to be more palatable if you'll excuse the expression <laughs> well and and like going back to the ending where so you find out that it's like a matrilineal thing right mm-hmm. where their mother who met their father at the same like suspiria-esque hell, <laughs> hell school for look for veterinarians i don't know that this place is accredited let's let's look into that yeah it, it could just be a bunch of like randos running a, a veterinarian school in the belgian yeah. countryside um but you know so at, at the end of the near the end of the movie um, her sister Alex uh, kills poor sweet Adrian. Um, like Justine wakes up in bed and Adrian is lying there next to her, and it looks like a sweet sort of waking up moment where it's like, oh hey, you know, like you know, waiting for him to wake up. Yeah. She starts tracing uh, his hip, and then uh, it gets kind of sticky, and then she realizes that an enormous fuck off chunk has been taken out of his leg. Yeah. He is dead. Well, and that's not. I mean. Unfortunately, because uh, being alive is terrible, right. you can lose a huge chunk of your of your thigh and still be alive. Yeah. But she finds this puncture wound in his back. Um, there's basically a hole born through him, and a a what is it a ski a ski stick yeah ski a, a skiing or. What the fuck do you call that? Now you all know how much I go outside, which is <laughs> never. Um, so you got your little ski bat that you use to, to push so, yourself down so the slope. So whatever happened to his leg is not what killed him. Um, he's got this this massive wound in his torso. And it, it looks like she did it. Her mouth is bloody. And then she looks over and her, her sister Alex is there playing a video game. Um, or, or, or not playing a video game, sitting there staring into nowhere holding a controller. She's not playing a thing? No, she's not. I thought not, there was something on the screen. She's not near the TV. Like, she's over in the kitchen with the controller, staring off into nowhere. Because um, she also <clears> used to play video games with Adrian. Sure. Um, oh, that's weird. I thought there was something on the screen. Anyway. Um, oh, you, you, you're you actually probably right. I, I, eh, I just remember seeing a TV. Either way. So then it becomes pretty clear that Alex did it. Um, throughout the film, Justine had kind of been trying to protect him from Alex a little bit, the same way she protected him while they were having sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, it's come to this. 
throughout he's just he's a real sweetheart and when she she's she's pushed into a sexual encounter without her consent someone you know because this is a fucking nightmare school and hazing week um there she walks past the doorway and they splash her with a bucket full of blue paint and then they push this guy covered in yellow paint toward her into a small room and say don't come back until you're both green right a sort of enforced seven minutes in heaven thing yeah like super fun real great um and she bites this guy's lip and fuck yeah she like does. bites a chunk out of his lip and i laughed way too hard <laughs> it just rules. because the way it's edited is and and directed is so crisp and beautiful um <laughs> and when he sees her do that he's also covered in some sort of paint the look on his face is almost unreadable it's like a little bit indulgent like a little bit curious yeah you know? he's sort of it's sort of a oh you look oh you taking chunks out of the guy in yellow paint yeah so i really wanted them to have this beautiful like Almost the end of uh, of Let the Right One In, where it's like a monster and her person. You well, know? which I love, I love that as a trope, the like caring for your monster yeah. thing, where it's like there's you know there's this person in the thing who's uh, kind of unknowable and scary and and kind of a monster, and then it's another person who loves them enough to be like you know what, yeah sure you have an un- you have an insatiable bloodlust and you like eating people, but we can figure it out, you know. That's what we all want is just that kind of understanding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so at the end of the movie, um, so Adrian is uh, poor, poor, poor Adrian. He's dead, and uh, Justine uh, is like holding the ski stick, the the ski sure. rod, um, to Alex's throat, like she's gonna kill her for. Killing... No, it was to her forehead. Oh, to her forehead, like, and you don't know if she's gonna kill her for killing um, Adrian, and then. Uh, rather than do that, there's like a kind of a goblin market moment where she take you know she lifts her sister up, takes her to the shower. They both like she washes her sister off. They both get in and she washes her sister off. Yeah, and it's very tender. It's very tender. Um, and that's also a sort of caring for your monster moment. Like she she can't change what Alex has done, but mm-hmm. she can take care of the person in the room who's still alive. Who's still alive and left over um, from this. And so, yeah, and so Alex goes to jail for murdering Adrian, and there, I honestly, I just, which by the way, side note here, fucking adore this movie, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's a moment where, so uh, she goes to jail for killing Adrian, and then they're both separated by a pane of glass. And as Justine and her family are leaving, um, her sister holds up the stump of her hand. Her middle finger on one hand, and the stump of her middle finger on the other hand. <laughs> yep. As a kind of, look what you did to me. And then they're both smiling at each other, and then Justine presses her face, which has a chunk missing from it from where uh, Alex had bit her, presses it to the glass, and uh, Alex kisses the wound on Justine's face. And, like, they're cool. Yeah. They're cool with each other. It's a beautiful, like, mutual walking wounded, look what you did to me, haha, look what you did to me. Bless this mess, you yeah, know? exactly. It's, yeah. And then so it go, they go home, Justine, so she uh, had her wild semester at college, right? Um, and she's sitting there with her father, who, which by the way, side note here, is the most European man I have ever seen. There are a lot of scarves. Even when he's not wearing a scarf, there may be scenes where he's not wearing a scarf spiritually. He's he like, is be scarf. It's like present day Chris Jericho levels of scarf. <laughs> He is a well-scarfed man, right? Mm-hmm. Although in more, in more ways than one well-scarfed. Well, we've there's there's possibly a reason for his neck being covered. Yes. And so, you know, he's talking to Justine, and then he's like, yeah, you know, your, your mom um, at college, and you, you know, it, it zooms in on his face in a way you didn't really get a chance to look at it before. Big fucking scar in, in his Cupid's bow. 
Mm. It almost looks like he had like uh, like a cleft lip or something. And then he explains that like, yeah, I was starting to, you know, we were, it was starting to get pretty serious with me and your mom. And then she took a big chunk out of my lip and I had, we had to make some hard decisions. And then he pulls open his shirt. He just says, she kissed me. She kissed me. And I mean, such is the restraint of this movie that you draw your own inference, of course. And then he opens up his shirt and his torso is just covered in wounds, his chest. It is a topography of scars. Yeah. And he's leading up to this. He's saying that what's happened isn't Justine's fault and it isn't even Alex's fault. And the way he explains that is by saying, you know, we had your sister first and she was very much herself. She was our princess. She got used to being herself and we never found a good solution. Um, and then he opens his shirt and we realize that this is a, this is a family problem. It's all in the family. Right. And he says to her, I hope you'll find a solution or I, I know you'll find a solution, honey. Yeah. And it's basically, you know, find somebody who can deal with your hunger yeah. and who can deal with this. And, and, and so, I mean, for me, I mean, if we're going with like, what does the cannibalism mean for me? I, I feel like my interpretation of, of the cannibalism in this movie is just sort of the fear that you're too much mm. for people that you've got these weird compulsions and, and this, this weird hunger and especially the fact that you don't like men don't have this thing in the movie. Like I, I, I love that choice that it's not a sort of like, you know, it's, they're not vampires. Right. Like the dad did not get bloodlust because he is a snack. No. And it appears that nobody else they all they all ate the raw meat during the initiation ceremony, um, but it appears that nobody else got these urges afterwards except for Justine and her older sister. So it's it's not only just women; it's just women in this particular family, right? Which really opens it up to interpretations involving like familial cycles of abuse and like you might think your family is perfectly normal until you go away to college and see more of the world and then you're like what the fuck was happening there um yeah there's a lot there's a lot going on and it's it's not something that you can solely blame on the initiation ceremony that sort of activated something that in them right and the initiation ceremony in general is like a cycle of abuse yeah because so much of it is i mean it, the hazing is it's fucking uncomfortable like just these these fucking terrible upper class people um not upper class like older students yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like like older students not like upper class like yeah, I, and I think it's like a, a micro version of a macro thing in the movie. Yeah. Where it's this small uh, cycle that is kind of given the time to breathe that it deserves. Right, and so, the, and the director, bless her and keep her, even draws this line in one of the interviews that we saw a snippet of um, where she says, you know, it's it's about the the violence that we face every day. Like, obviously, it's about a lot of things, but that's, one, that's part of it. Um and so with the nurse in the very early scene where Justine is like, why is my skin doing this? I am ravenously hungry. Um, the, the nurse says, you know, find a quiet corner and wait it out. Right. And the nurse also recounts a, I mean, this movie is beautifully made. Everything is deliberate. Nothing is wasted. Um, she recounts the story of this, this patient she had previously, a, an earlier student who was fat and she was really denied adequate or even even barely respectable 
uh, respectful medical care, mm-hmm. um, which for all of your thin listeners or anyone who might not know is something that happens to fat people constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this young woman went in with the flu, I think it was, and she was told by some other medical professionals, like, you're too fat. I can't even get the needle to a vein. Which which um, is horseshit, by So the way. come back after you lose some weight and we'll focus on your flu. Jesus. And so this nurse was saying, you know, that was bullshit. I was able to find a nerve just fine. And this young woman thanked me profusely for not even mentioning her weight. And she says, I didn't mention it because it wasn't relevant. She had the flu. Um, so she, she mentions this story and then... Um, Justine asks, like, what did she do? Did she file a complaint or a report about those people? And the nurse says, no, I don't. I think she wanted not to be a bother. Um, And basically that she didn't want to stand out. You know, she didn't want to paint a target on herself for further abuse. So we get this one option when you're faced with abuse, which is to, like, make yourself very small, find a quiet corner, um, not stand out. And the nurse says that she thinks the fat woman wanted to be average. And so she asks Justine, how do you view yourself? Right. And Justine says, average. Um, And so that's one way to avoid getting the worst of abuse in a bad situation. And another way to handle it is to to fight back and get vicious, which is kind of what Justine does when she's in that room with the paint. Right. Um, She... She fights back, but there are drawbacks to that. It sort of paints a target on you. Well, because there's, like, social sanction. Yeah, of course. And it, it, uh, if you take it to the extreme the way Alex did, you can end up in prison, all of that kind of thing. Um, and it's also uncomfortable for people. Like, if you're in, a, in an abusive situation, if all the victims go along with it, then everybody, perpetrators and victims, if they so choose, mm-hmm. can see it as normal. Like, oh, that was an abuse. That was fine. Well, and you think of, you know, childhood, right? right? Like when, because uh, when you're a kid, when there are unhealthy, shitty dynamics at home, like you might hate them and, and, and wish that it were otherwise, right? but you don't really have the frame of reference yet to know how fucked up your situation is because that's just your everyday life. Right. There's no basis for comparison. You might go over to someone else's house for a couple of hours, but that's not real knowledge of a dynamic well and that's kind of an alien thing when you go over to a friend's house as a kid and you see how their family does stuff yeah and like the family unit and and generally like formative years are so kind of it's like a one person submarine (laughs) where you're kind of this is your life this is your you know and 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 so especially with this movie i love that i love the intimacy of family in this movie that like Again, uh, the director was talking about how it's sort of like one interpretation of the cannibalism can just be loving too much mm-hmm. and feeling too much. And that's especially in the sisterhood bond or the sibling bond in general. Well, and that the sibling bond is like this like protean, you know, almost like biblical thing where it's just like this ancient construct of like intimacy and you're bound together and you share blood, you sh- you've, you've shared, you know, ostensibly a household as children. Right. And so often, you know, in the Bible and in... In Greek myths, it all it all ends in bloodshed. Yeah. Not so much in uh, hug your sister and say you're sorry. No. But sometimes the closest we get to hug your sister and say you're sorry is, hey, you cut off my finger. Hey, you bit my face. Ah, uh, <laughs> you. <laughs> you. Yeah, both of them just finger gunning at each other from across the glass pane. Yeah. Um, the option of, of fighting back against abuse, you know, she comes out of that room. <laughs> the, the guy comes out of the room screaming. Um, and basically saying that she's crazy and she's got a chunk of his lip in her mouth. Sure. And everybody's looking at them. 
Um, you know, she couldn't she couldn't buy an onlooker or an upstander when they were in that room. But now everybody's got they've got everyone's attention. And I think that part of what's uncomfortable about confronting abuse head on in that way is that it removes the plausible deniability of like, oh, we're just having fun here. And Mm -hmm. it takes something that is almost private, like um, like, oh, you know, we don't talk about that in mixed company. This is our our little secret. And it, it's it makes that abuse public and it denormalizes it. Yeah. Um, and so the, the public and private is something I was thinking about a lot, especially after the bathroom scene. And there's, you know, a long, proud tradition of bathroom scenes. I think of Ginger Snaps where she's... Um, oh, horror loves bathrooms. Yeah, and I think part of that is, like, the bathroom is where is where you bring your body so that it can do gross body things. Right. Um, and in in Irving Goffman's um, presentation of the self in everyday life, which is shouted out twice in Manhunter, if you've seen that, which is also great. So good. Um, his theory is that all the world's a stage, basically, and we're all performing for one another all the time. And there are these three zones. There's on stage, right. which is when you're in public, you've got an audience of multiple people, um, there's a backstage where you're by yourself, it's private, personal, you're getting ready to present yourself next time you go back out, and then off stage where the audience is segmented, it's smaller, you might be up with one person, and you, you tailor your presentation of yourself accordingly. So the way you act in front of a group of, let's say, five people mm-hmm. is different from how you might act if you're talking to one of those people one-on-one later. Um, so you could think of in this film off stage is sort of like when she's alone with Adrian or alone with Alex on stage might be like the, the interminable party and, um, hazing scenes. It's not a criticism of the scenes. They're just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and backstage, like I think the bathroom, especially a bathroom stall is like this sacred and also fraught small private space in the middle of a public space. Right. And so that's where, you know, in Black Swan, she's, I think, picking at her skin. Mm-hmm. And in Ginger Snap, she's vomiting. And in this film, she's vomiting up the hair that she was sort of... Compulsively inf- eating. Yeah, she was, like, inflicting this suffering on her own body because it wasn't safe for her to take any of that aggression or anxiety out on the professor. Yeah. Because he had power over her and, you know, she doesn't really have a recourse. Well, and in general, like, like the complete lack of autonomy she has in that moment is like, what the fuck is she going to do? Right. And that's actually... I mean, that's not uncommon among young women um, to have to have that kind of compulsion, um, especially young. You know, if you're living in someone else's house under someone else's roof, like especially as a child, it's not safe to be visibly angry with your parents because they feed you. Yeah. So you turn that aggression into something and the self is often the safest target for hatred or aggression or anxiety. And so that's that's. Well, I don't want to be smug and be like, that's where it comes from. But that is one way of looking at, um, you know, the skin picking, the hair pulling, uh, trichotillomania, all of that stuff. Right. And including the hair eating. Um, so the bathroom is like this, this private space, but also it's not because she's overheard by this other female student who says, by the way, it goes, it goes faster if you use two fingers. Like, so l- like, like Clippy the clip art popping yeah, up. Like, she's... hey, I know you're trying to vomit. Have you tried using two fingers? <laughs> She's like giving you a, a, a more efficient way of torturing yourself. Yeah, um, she's your buddy. You she's know? extremely cheerful, and it's 
it's funny because it's like this very private suffering mm-hmm. that everybody goes through. It's yeah. like, it's just you in the toilet, but also this is acted out over and over again by billions of women and by people in general who are just trying to control their bodies in some semi-socially acceptable way. Right. And it, it makes me wonder, like, after she, after her sister's finger is cut off and then she eats it and they go to the hospital and um, she's sickened by what she's done and by what might have happened to the family dynamic, she goes out into the parking lot and she's, she's trying to throw up Excuse me. And um, see, I couldn't control my body. Yeah, there we go. And uh, this female medical professional is walking past her in the parking lot, and she sees her and then looks away and keeps walking. Right. And the question is really, like, what's more disturbing? It reminds me of the um, the adults driving by at the beginning of It. The, oh, yeah. The 2017 adaptation. The 2017 one, yeah, where, like, uh, I think it's it, Ben is getting um, yeah. sort of tortured by... Um, like the bullies and it and like there's you know people driving by oh no 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 wait was it him or was it mike i don't know it was remember. mike i'm pretty sure it was mike he's getting tortured by um and it's ugly you think they're gonna carve up his stomach and... oh no that was ben then oh, okay uh, and there's like a car with a couple of elderly people driving by and, and you think oh great like gonna surely they're them. gonna intervene it's gonna be good nope they nope. keep driving and then as they're driving away like for a second you just see a red balloon pop up in the back seat of the car and it's like oh Pennywise is just a manifestation of all the repressed, horrible shit right. going on in Derry. And so what's happening is a, is a private, it's a, it's a personal moment in be- between Ben and his attackers, but also everyone is complicit because you see it and you just keep going. Yeah. So really, what's more disturbing? The, the young woman who gives you tips for how to more efficiently hurt yourself or the... The adult woman who notices and doesn't say anything. And doesn't do shit. Doesn't ask if you're okay, you know. As if it's just, it's normal to see a young woman trying to throw up in a parking lot. Yep. So, and then, honestly, like, the end, I love that you pointed out, like, La Femme Nikita as kind of a similar tone for the ending of the thing. Because especially, like, that's another thing where it's, like, the... Which I still haven't seen the American version of La Femme Nikita because... I don't care to. Um, but that's one of the things I loved about La Femme Nikita is that, like, the the main character, like, her dude in that, he when he finds out that she's actually an assassin and actually she's got this whole other life and she's dealing with all this other shit, he doesn't come at it as a kind of, you know, oh, well, how, how could you not tell me about this and why, what are you doing out there killing and how could you not? Right. Like, he he's just along for the ride and he loves her, so he's going to figure this out. He just right. wants to support her. He wants to be there for her. And he's kind of denied that at the end of it where... The, the husband of Justine's mom, or I could just say Justine's dad, I suppose. Sure. Um, he's pretty much on, in it for the long haul. Yeah. He's he's down for this. Like, he loves his wife, and she takes chunks out of him, and he, what's he going to do? Not be with her? Fuck that. Right. Um, relatable. Yeah, relatable. I mean, come to, now that you mention it that way, uh, La Femme Nikita is also a, like, caring for your monster kind yeah, of film. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, you know... Um, so we come to, even though there's like so much more to dig into on this, um, alas, we come to the moment on the podcast where we have to rank it. And I'm going to start with the most contentious film on the thing. Christina, is this better or worse than American Psycho? I mean, is that really where, like, are you asking just to torture me or (laughs) would you really put this movie in the mid teens? I, I would actually, honestly, I would put, I I, I think if I were going to start with a thing. 
I would say that Raw is better than Predator. I mean, I haven't even seen Predator, but yeah. <laughs> In fairness, I have this idea of Predator being like just a, a dumb, shoot dumb up mid eighties action movie. Which Correct. I mean, but maybe that's unfair because I do love Shane Black a lot. Oh but... sure, but side note, you get two things. You get Jesse the Body Ventura claiming to be a goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus, Ugh. right? Which is very important. Uh, and then also you have like pretty good makeup and the fact that Jean-Claude Van Damme was kicked off the set because he would not stop kickboxing. Well, that's great. Everyone loves that. Right. But listen, I'm basically here asking, is it about anything? And no. you're like, the makeup is super good. <laughs> so here's the thing. Fuck Predator. Yeah. Sorry, Shane Black. Love uh -huh. you. Right. Um, this movie, based on what I've just heard, is definitely better than Predator. Mm-hmm. Also, it's basically America trying to whisper to itself post-Vietnam going, hey, we weren't the monsters, right? Like, no, it's that was... okay, we're good. It's, the monster is definitely somebody with dreadlocks. Mm, mm -hmm. And don't, you know, don't don't worry about that dog yeah. whistle. No, it's good. Um, um, so let's, let's, so better than Predator. Would you say, so that by definition, alas, because there is no appeals process and justice does not exist, uh, that puts it above American Psycho. No, it doesn't, because American Psycho should not be under fucking Predator, you piece of shit. Also, I see here that the Evil Dead is ranked below Evil Dead 2, which is also incorrect. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm not 100% on your police work there, Lou. Yeah. I think that there's uh, there's some funny business happening here. There definitely is. Yeah. So, um, you know, sign my change.org petition to create an appeals process for this this wretched project. <laughs> uh, let's restore some justice and order and coherence to rank and vile. Please. Uh, retweet if you agree. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, honestly. Um, so, you uh, haven't seen, let's see, The, uh, the Babadook or Ghostwatch. Um, is, is this better than The Bride of Frankenstein? I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. My gut Bless. is yes. <laughs> like, But is it better than Eraserhead? I haven't seen that either. Oh, wow, okay. I, 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 I think, don't think you would like it. Exactly. That's one of those, like, it's extremely good and you would hate it. Movies. Yeah. Um, Rosemary's Baby. They're, if we're getting into bodily autonomy... This is not better than Get Out. No. Uh, certainly not. Better than Rosemary's Baby. I don't even know, dude. Also, I saw this movie this morning. Like, so it's pretty so fresh. so unfair. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's the podcast. That's nothing I is know. fair. This entire enterprise is just <laughs> fundamentally flawed. It's fucking tainted. Um, just rating art is absurd. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate that you both uh, recognize that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're tap dancing about architecture. It's, it's all in fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You've seen Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> more recently than I have. I would what say, see, here's the thing. I honestly, gun to my head right now, uh -huh. I would put this below Bride of Frankenstein, above Eraserhead. Damn. I think this, now, and here's the Take thing. Take that, David Lynch. This 34-year-old French woman is coming for your head. Yeah, fuck you, Lynch. I, because, I mean, because the thing is, I love Eraserhead, mm -hmm. but I feel like, all right, so if, with both movies, if we're going with... Listen, this director is not going to explain a goddamn thing. Right. The movie is the thing, and it's on you to figure it out. <laughs> Fuck you. You have to get, you have to think for once in your goddamn life. Exactly. I, now, the thing is, Eraserhead fucks me up real bad because it strikes a nerve with me. Sure. Um, but I think this movie has a more coherent vision right. for the for the things it wants you to interpret. It's sort of giving... I mean, I mean, and not that that makes it better than Eraserhead, because it's not on David Lynch to, to give you breadcrumbs. Sure. But I think it's a more effective movie it's very crisp oh it's, it's so this yeah. now this is a movie that was made for people in a way that i don't think the <laughs> razor necessarily was yeah 
like Eraserhead is a fucking surreal nightmare that I, I love dearly. It's one of my favorite movies, but I think this movie maybe does a better job. Is it that Nora Joyce thing? Why don't you write books people can read? Oh, yeah. I, think, I think it might be the Nora Joyce thing. Yeah. Um, so, gun to my head, I would put it below Bride of Frankenstein and above Eraserhead. Mm, Do you dang. Have, any, have any objective uh, objections? No, works for me. Well, there we go. I mean, it's definitely... I, I, I think it's definitely not as good as Get Out, only because that's a perfect film. Right. Um, actually, so 2016, this movie was made the the festival rounds but it came out in theaters in 2017 right so i don't know what you do with that i think that would make it raw 2016 but okay yeah either way doesn't matter either way is good um so coming so coming in at our new number 10 motherfucker we cracked the top 10 with this yeah i did not see that coming we didn't do shit julia duparno crap cracked the top 10 she did yes yes she did that and i'm I'm sorry it's uh uh above uh the evil dead yeah and American Psycho. So, um, la- the, a quick thing we're going to talk about is that so over. I'm <laughs> so you you suffer so. Mm. Um, the, the 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 last thing we're going to talk about is uh, so over Christmas break. What is one to do with themselves in the bizarre space between Christmas and New Year's? And one thing you could do is watch two fucking seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead. Mm, do it. Um, which we, which, um, I, back, uh, months and months ago, I watched, like, the first two episodes and was like, oh, this is really good. And then Christina devoured the first season. Yeah. And, uh, got me to watch it. Now, the thing is, it's great. It is just fucking great. I, I love Ash vs. Evil Dead because, um, I think this series understands in a way that a lot of Army of Darkness and Ash Williams fanboys don't get that Ash is Lord, Lord of all scrubs. Mm-hmm. He is a scrub. Yeah, it's, it's like, what I, the, the reason I love The Evil Dead more than Evil Dead 2 is because it, um, I mean, it's just hilarious mm-hmm. to have Ash's possessed dead girlfriend screaming, like, save me, Ash! <laughs> just like, busted his balls. Just mocking all of his, like, macho impulses to, like, protect and defend and all that stuff. Because it's good. he's just a person. Like, yeah. <laughs> here's the thing. You might be a dude, but that doesn't mean you're better at fighting or protecting or anything he's a nice he's a nice michigan boy in the in the woods sure he tries hard and he's got fucking nothing against these demons right um so that's what i love it's like the gleeful the gleeful explosion of the um of the power fantasy basically um and that's just raw in the Evil Dead, in, as opposed to Evil Dead Two. Yeah. Well, and 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 in the show, I mean, it's like, and so you get to Army, and of course we've talked about this on the show that like Ash in Army of Darkness when he's like spitting out one-liners and doing cool guy stuff while also being a fucking dangus. Right. Um, it makes sense to me that he would evolve that persona as a kind of membrane between him and Pain because he's watched everyone he loves die. Mm-hmm. Like, he has seen so much death in the people he cares about, so that at this point, if he's just a fucking dickhole to everyone, and he's just spitting out one-liners and being unavailable, it'll hurt less when everybody dies. Right. And if if we are all the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives, and our, our place within those stories, uh-huh. then it makes perfect sense. I mean, imagine you're being tormented from age, what, 20? However old he was when yeah. he went to that cabin? Yep. You're being tormented from age 20 with this massive responsibility and tracked everywhere by these monsters. Right, now I gotta be responsible for this Necronomicon. Right, like how do you form a positive sense of self when you're being victimized constantly like that? Yeah. And the answer is 
to, you know, be a gun-toting, one-liner-spouting, like, baby-you-got-real-ugly sort of cool dude. Yeah, you're a Spencer's t-shirt and boots, right? Right. Like, you're just spitting out. And, and, and the thing about Ash vs. Evil Dead, the show that I love, I think Ash is the only uh, white dude in any role of particular prominence. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, like the cast is fucking great. I mean, although although you do get Ted Raimi, yes. that beautiful mug, showing up <laughs> as his gross uh, friend from back in the day. He just has a great screen presence. Like, the minute he comes on screen, you know everything you need to about who this person is. Oh, it's, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. And, you, and you think to yourself, you know, the sun is shining. Mm. You see that? You see that face? It's great. Mm. Um, and so Ash vs. Evil Dead understands exactly what we like about the Evil Dead movies that, like, it's, it's, first of all, this show doesn't fuck around with gore or death. Oh my god, no. Holy shit. To paraphrase our friend Josh, we're killing kids on this show. Like, (laughs) that's, that's kind of his informal metric for how serious a show is about being brutal. Yeah. Like, we're killing kids on this show. Not a lot, but, you know, it happens because demons don't discriminate. They, they really don't. Uh, And of course, you've got Lucy Lawless showing up. As a demon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we all love Lucy That's Lawless. a spoiler. You're going to have to mark this for spoilers. Oh, sure. And also, maybe La Femme Nikita? Maybe? Although, if people haven't seen La Femme Nikita oh, at this point. Oh, come on. That's, that's, it's been out for that's a while. A, that's a personal mistake. Exactly. Um, but, so, I honestly, there's one scene in this that made me, like, love this series so much, which is, which is that in season two. I think we're just going to be ranking season one yeah. on okay. this one. Sure. Um, They're both good. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I feel like uh, we could actually just rank both seasons in the same spot as yeah, like, the same concurrent show. I wouldn't say one of them is markedly better than the other. No. no. But season two does have a scene where Ash... This is a... Th- and, you know, when you watch a horror property, when when you see a thing you haven't seen anywhere else... <laughs> Bless. I fucking appreciate it. And the one that I appreciate is that in season two, Ash um, gets his head stuck up a corpse's ass and his, his face is poking out the corpse's abdomen... While the corpse is pierced wiener mm. flapping about on screen, in your face, good morning, here's a pierced cock, and Bruce Campbell's head is up an ass. And he's, like, flopping around, and there's innards whipping at him, and he's, like, it, it's, like, slapstick. And there's there's no, like, creative camera angles to disguise the dong. There's no. none of that, like, Austin Powers, nice rack shit. Oh, no. Uh, you know, there's that stuff has its place, but it's fundamentally distracting, mm-hmm. right? Like, it calls attention to itself. It says, you know, there are, there are boobs here somewhere, there's a dick here somewhere, and we don't want you to see it. Well, and because we were just watching Basic Instincts, oh and in, in, in which Michael Douglas refused to get his dick out, and he's a coward. Ugh. Um, Ugh. Th- listen, Ash vs. Evil Dead has the fucking strength of its convictions. Not only... Is it a floppy wiener? <laughs> I like that we're also ranking Ash versus Evil Dead above Basic Instinct. So, <laughs> so for all of you keeping track at home, well, you know make what, Michael Douglas, get your fucking dick out and we'll talk. You coward! You, yeah. you goddamn, you yeah. villain. Um, but yeah, this this show not only is it a floppy wiener. Yes. It is a pierced floppy it's wiener. It's a big piercing it's a too. Big fucking Prince Albert. It's not like a little. A little ring. It's like a thick oh, oh, it's, buddy. It's some serious a hardware. Thick buddy. I don't th- know where that comes. It's a, it's a thick buddy, just fl- I, flopping yeah. around in your face. Not only so, so we've got floppy pierced wieners, Ted Raimi, mm. and his beautiful face, mm. Lucy Flawless. Lucy fucking Flawless showing up, wrecking everybody's shit, and Bruce Campbell, which by the way, still a confirmed snack. Oh God, yeah. He's so beautiful. Yeah. Like, and I love that Bruce Campbell was cast in the original Evil Dead entirely because Sam was like, well, my buddy Bruce wants to be an actor and all the girls seem to like him. Listen, you cannot argue with that face. You can't. It's, you know, it's a force of nature. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, 
And so, like, it, it again, it's a perfect... It's exactly what you want from an Evil Dead show, and that it doesn't compromise on gore or comedy. And the comedy is the, is the strong aspect of it. Yeah. Like, the gore is just another aspect of the humor in the way that Sam Raimi always wanted to do. And, like, also, Sam Raimi directed an episode of this. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't just, uh, you know, stars got hold of Evil Dead as an entity and was able to make a show. Like, Sam Raimi, this is with his blessing. He did an episode of it. Yeah. This is an extension of the stuff that Sam Raimi wanted to do with Evil Dead. Sorry. And you can feel, like, you can feel Raimi's influence. You can feel the genuine care that goes into this. It's really good. Like, it doesn't feel like a cash grab or like a, you know, we're all getting older. We might as well get this money while we can. And I want to say, like, I think, because basically all I had heard about this show was, you know, Bruce Campbell is still great. It's it's right. funny and gory and all that good stuff. Lucy Lawless is in it. And that's that's the easy stuff to say, right? Because mm-hmm. we all know who Bruce Campbell and Lucy Lawless are. Right. Um, so I also want to shout out the actors who play Kelly and and Pablo the Angel and Amanda. And they are fantastic. There's not a weak link in the cast. Oh, it's so um, good. Also Pablo's uncle. Like it's all fantastic. And, you know, they're not they're not big names, but they're wonderful and you're gonna love every second that they're on screen. Well and side note yeah, and side note here, I, I appreciate so much that sh- that the show, like, uh, apparently for the role of Pablo's uh, uncle, um, who's like a shaman. They, uh, Sid Haig, uh, or Captain Spaulding from, uh, the zombie, the, the Rob Zombie movies, uh, he auditioned for the part, and then they were like, mm, let's actually go with a Latino actor for this, maybe. <laughs> let's maybe not do Sid Haig as playing a, uh, uh, what, what's the term, brujo? Uh, yeah. Yeah, brujo. Um, and it's, oh, it is just so fucking good. It's so good. So. And, wait, mm-hmm. are we about to rank? Oh, sure, but do you have anything no. before we do? Yes, I have a thing. Please. So. This is an important point about um, the character of Ash Williams. It also lets me shoehorn in something that I wanted to say Uh, about Raw and didn't get the chance to. Yeah, let's have it. Because it's almost like all horror is about trauma, Mm -hmm. because it is. It is. Um, So we've got those options of dealing with abuse, right? And, like, whichever you choose, either to shrink away or, like, Ash, to, like, puff up your chest and make yourself bigger and define yourself as this badass. Right, fight or flight. Whichever thing you choose to protect yourself can also sort of calcify and turn into something destructive that hurts you and hurts other people. Ah. And that's, like, Justine seems to understand that context. Like, she hurts that dude in the body paint, but she doesn't hurt Adrian. She bites herself instead. Right. Alex doesn't understand that. She fucking ruins lives and goes to prison, right? Because her aggression is out of control and she's not aiming it carefully. Yes. And with Ash, like we have this very deliberate moment in the first couple episodes even where, you know, he's saying I'm an alone wolf because this show really needs you to understand that he's a total dork. He's a fucking dangus. Um, he's a savant. He's good at one thing, which is fighting and fighting and deadites, saying cool guy things, but he's not cool at all. Yeah. Um, he is not cool. And you know, he's like, no, I, I, I work alone. I'm, I'm cool and isolated. I'm John Wayne and all that stuff. And, at a certain point he says, wait, no, I have, I have a pack now. I have, I have Kelly and Pablo. And that's where the show, I think, really takes a turn into being something good and original instead of like a retread of the movies we've all seen. Because now there's a different dynamic. Like he's choosing a different way of being yeah. and of dealing with these things that he's facing. And that's that almost allows him to start developing as a person again. Well, so Ash vs. Evil Dead, more character development than, what, 20,000 seasons of Supernatural? 
I mean, that's barely a TV show. Right. Yeah, it's mostly just action figures. It just it just it just keeps some some actors who seem like nice enough men off the streets. You know, <laughs> gives them something to do after school. Keep them busy. Yeah. So uh, I uh, so if we're starting out on a place to rank Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV series, um, to me, Ash versus Evil Dead is better than. And this might get me hate mail, but it's better than the movie Saw. Um, because it's uh, good. And the thing is, I've seen every Saw movie and I love the first Saw, but let's not shit ourselves. Uh, now, let's above that is Army of Darkness. Mm. I think this is better than Army of Darkness. I think so, too. It's been a few years since I saw Army of Darkness, but my my shallow recollection is that it feeds a little bit more into the ash is a cool guy thing would you agree with that or i no? i would agree because yeah. i think it does take care to give him like hail to the king baby at the yeah. end yeah and and that's i mean that's the stuff that kind of turns me off because it's just it's just not as interesting as it could be right and it's a line that only works because we all love bruce campbell yes i mean yeah so and and in so Ryan obsessively reads trivia for things that he's watching. Sure. And then the second the thing is over, he's like trying to rank it. And it's like, wow, will you just let a motherfucker breathe? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry for being the way that I am. This this is the dude who will definitely like uncork a 200-year-old bottle of wine and just drink it straight from the bottle. Like, no, things things need a little space. Yeah. Um, so Ryan was reading trivia about Ash versus Evil Dead. And one of the items was that, you know, all of the all of the music is from the 70s and early 80s. And Sam Raimi wanted it that way because that's the music that would resonate with Ash because that's when he stopped developing as a person and participating in society well, in, before in a his, normal way. Before his life was taken away yeah, from him exactly. by the Deadites. Before his life was taken away and he, like, shut himself off to deal with that. Um, this show is, like, it's frank and deliberate about that in a way that Army of Darkness is not. Yeah, and, and it's a kind of, because um, I feel like Hallow uh, Zombies Halloween 2 and a lot of other stuff like does the sort of, okay, what happens to the final girl after the final reel of the last movie? Right. What does life look like after that? And I feel like Ash is absolutely a final girl, where yeah. he he's always the one left over. Right. He, 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 he goes on, and does he actually progress as he goes on? Right. It, it's really good. Um, I would say also, so if we're ranking it, it is not better than Audition. No, I love it. Not. I love it. It's fucking incredible, but it, it's it's auditions a masterpiece. It is unfuckwithable. Yeah. Um, now, for going with bombastic, wild ass, crazy violence, mm -hmm. I do think it's better than female prisoner scorpion beast stable. <laughs> I will take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've never seen female prisoner scorpion beast stable. Oh, you know, every year around the Christmas tree, we would get together <laughs> at your mother's knee. She would whisper, "Oh, child." <laughs> It's time for female prisoner scorpion beast sale. Our annual viewing. No, I have not seen that film. Well, there I, we go. I trust your judgment on this, even though you have failed me and failed Mary Heron so grievously in the past. May, may it be listed amongst my sins. Yep. Uh, so, coming in at our new number 36 is uh, the TV series Ash vs. Evil Dead. Seasons 1 and 2. Seasons 1 and 2. Thank you. Um, Christina... Holy shit! Thank you, thank you for for covering yeah. for my consumptive uh, partner. Anytime, Quincy. I am always available to uh, cover up for your body's betrayal of you. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for having me on because the second that this movie ended, and even while I was still watching it, I was just bursting with stuff to say about it, and 
you know, color-coded notes. So thanks for giving me an outlet for all of that overthinking. Literal Amy Santiago. Um, do you care for people to be able to find you online, or would you rather burrow? No, because I have a uh, I have a normie job. So there we go. Yeah, do not come to my Bangalore house. <laughs> Understand? Okay. Um, so uh, rank and vile. You can find us online on Twitter at rank and vile cast on uh, Tumblr and Instagram at just rank and vile. Um, and then also, if you want to request a movie for us to watch, uh, probably send that over to our Gmail account at rankandvilecast at gmail.com or in our ask ask box, ask box on Tumblr. Um, and listen, we, we, we've gotten a bunch of movies that we've ranked that way and we love doing it uh, because we want to talk about stuff that people actually uh, like and care about so that we're not just talking about stuff like uh, The Night of Something Strange and... Or Female Prisoner Scorpion, colon, Beast Staple. That movie's a goddamn classic okay. and, I'll, and I'll thank you not to... <laughs> alright, alright. <laughs> not, 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 not to besmirch. Pardon me. I think I just like saying Female Prisoner Scorpion, Beast Staple. Who doesn't? It's great. Yeah. Um, so I think that's all I got. Have a good week, guys. Thanks.